everybody to another episode of too much popcorn the movie review podcast where jimmy and i watch a movie and then we sit down and we talk about it we talk about the things we liked and the things we didn't like about it the highs and the lows and ultimately we try to come to a decision independently of each other on whether we'd recommend it to people and whether they should watch it and this week is it independent though well we watched the movie together I would say, well, it is independent because I come up with my opinion, you come up with your opinion, and then we both That's give our true. opinions to each other. So, Gosh, we got to think of a faster way to get this idea across to people. I know. <laughs> I know. We're a minute in, and they're like, I'm so bored and already. And they're like, I'm not even sure if these are two different people with independent <laughs> thought. <laughs> yeah. Are they gaslighting us? They haven't even talked about what movie they watched this week. Wouldn't that be wild if it was just me and then me pitching my voice in some way to sound like a different person <laughs> and then pretending I had a different opinion than my own opinion? Yes, that would be weird and totally not what happens. Oh, I fucked up the timing on that ah. one. Let me. <laughs> but yes, we are here to talk about a movie, Aaron. Which one is it this week? This week, it is the hit 2019, if you can believe that, hit 2019 film, once Upon a Time in Hollywood. A now, Tarantino I thought film. for sure this was a 1969 movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you would think it with Tarantino being a, a funny little funny little guy and loving... Funny little time-traveling man. Yeah, funny little jokes. Uh, no, uh, 2019, somehow before 2020, and then made me believe that it was like a 2022 film. But yeah. Could have been. It, it's got Leo in it. It's got Braddy P. Um... That blonde actress. Uh, oh, Margot Robbie. Totally forgot. And uh, yeah. Cast I was like, Ryan Gosling? <laughs> no, he was actually in that other 1969 uh, seminal piece, Good the Guys. Notebook. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. Good Guys. Yeah. Mm, yes. Which this movie did actually remind me a lot of in a lot of ways. They had a buddy cop sort of vibe to him. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that one is definitely, like, a 1969 Pulp Detective movie, but this has, like, the the same hits, and it's possibly just because they're both set in the same era and have the same, like, ring-a-ding-ding digs to them and uh, all the same set pieces and... Bell-bottom ass pants. Yeah, wild fucking... Who the fuck was dressing in the 70s and was like, I look hip. (laughs) Everyone, literally yeah. everyone. <laughs> they looked in the mirror and they said, ha ha, this is how I'm going to leave the house today. Yeah. Imagine your parents. This is how they felt. I know. <laughs> and, and someday my kids will look at me and say, dad, that's how you dressed a black t-shirt and pajama pants all the time. <laughs> and that's how you sounded when you said it to yourself in the mirror when oh. we recorded you. <laughs> and it wasn't just Uncle Jimmy pitching his voice in a podcast. Uh, he always kept sending us those clips of him <laughs> pretending to be you. <laughs> Wait, Dad, you don't actually exist. <laughs> Grandfather Paradox. You've created too many paradoxes is the main thing. But we are talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the hit 2019 seminal masterpiece. 
<laughs> How many words can I say that it just starts becoming very untrue what this film is? I mean, that's kind of what movie reviews are, where they're just like, here's all these buzzwords that don't really describe See, things. Wait, no, seriously, I was I was looking at reviews for I don't remember what movie it was now, but they both independently or maybe together they were describing the characters in like two different people like movie reviewers that get paid to do this were both like stingy you know like they use the same word to describe characters and i was like how did this happen yeah we're gonna do that now when you're using bold vivid sets to describe both transformers rise of the beasts and once upon a time in hollywood what the fuck does that even mean? That means nothing to me. Those movies are complete. Well, maybe they're not completely different. I haven't seen Rise of the Beast. Rise of the Beast is be. actually the perfect, t- t- you know, it's the perfect <laughs> film to do a double feature. You watch this one and then you watch Rise of the Beast and you're like, oh my God, it all makes sense. The golden age of Hollywood was so we could get here. Yeah. This movie ends. Leo's walking into the house that he walks into at the end. Uh, it's like panning up, and then Optimus Prime just falls out of the sky <laughs> right on the house and crushes him. I almost thought with how this movie so often put us into an additional screen, you were going to say that like he sits back <laughs> down on the couch, he makes another meme finger, and then like presses the remote and turns on Rise of the Beasts, and then the movie starts, and you're watching it, and you get the entire Rise of the Beast movie experience. <laughs> being narrated by rick dalton yeah dude and i would pay to see that i wouldn't be surprised there were so many times in this movie that it did what other movies often are like scared to do which is like characters are watching tv and like sometimes you'll get a little clip of what they're watching sometimes you'll watch it over the shoulder this was like hey i just pointed a camera at the tv and played it and there's literally a scene where they're Brad Pitt and Leo, they're watching TV. It is just the TV playing, and they're doing like audio commentary in the yeah. background. And it's like yeah. this is fucking wild. Yeah. It uh, it the the craziest thing happened while Aaron and I were watching this movie is we we continue. I think we're like looking at each other as sort of like a is this ha- are we? Do you know what's happening in this movie right now? <laughs> and it's like. Well, we kind of have an idea of what's going on in this movie right now. It's like, okay, we've established quite a few characters. We keep sort of building up the repertoire here. Okay, Margo's here. We've got Speed Racer over in the corner. He's doing his own thing. And okay, Roman Polanski, not actually. Yeah, it's like Pacino shows up and like all this stuff is going on. Same guy, actually. They're the same man. Uh, Heat is actually a one-man show of... De Niro playing. Okay. Uh, but yes, it uh, is it what movies are scared of? I don't know. Are they rightfully scared of what Tarantino did in this movie? I think yes, you could you could fully try this and it completely fail. But if you are pulling it off, and by it I mean taking a character to the movies and turning the camera away from a beautiful thing that I see in a lot of movies is they'll show an appreciation for the theater, right? You get the seats, you get the projector doing its fucking light dance over the audience. And all those shots are always evocative of just like, ah, the, the theater, a good sit down there. You have 
the camera fully 180. Nope. Margot Robbie is watching a movie in the movie. Leo and Brad Pitt are watching TV in the movie. All of the people at the horse, the previous, you know, horse ranch are watching TV. And the shot of them is completely static. You get, as soon as Brad Pitt enters the house, you get some other different things going on. But you are like stuck up in this sort of camera situation where you're like, okay, you guys are just watching TV. And it's like, this is what Americans do now. And you're like, okay, anything else? And they're like, "Mm mm-mm. Yeah, it it did a really good job of showing like what a hold TV television had on America in the late 60s and like how it became another family member in a lot of ways. Yeah, it was TV time. So... I fucked his brains out so that I could have TV time with him later. (laughs) (laughs) And so it begs the question, like, is there, is Tarantino similar to Wes Anderson? I feel like I relate so many (laughs) movie directors to Wes Anderson. Yes. Because I also related Michael Bay to Wes Anderson. Uh, You sure did. But is Tarantino also like Wes Anderson, where Wes Anderson has his charm and his vibe to him that just would not work for any other director, any other movie but for some reason you go to see these movies and like, you're just in the headspace of like, all right, I'm seeing a Tarantino, whatever happens. Cause like folks, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. There's at least an hour and a half of the movie that is just, I don't even know how to describe it's vibes. It's not, <laughs> it's, it's vibes. not character building. It's somewhat world building. It is. Uh, but it's like, it's both. It is purely, and similar to a lot of other Tarantino movies, it is an hour and a half of characters talking. Look at Inglorious Bastards. An hour and a half of just characters talking before stuff. Well, even in this movie, I think there is a, a lot of pregnant pauses, a lot of, not dead air, but a lot of space between things happening. There's... That one key sequence I really enjoyed where Brad Pitt's bombing down the freeway and we don't really know where he's going. We we don't really know who this character is at this point. We know he's he's got Dalton Leo's car and he's like he's a friendly enough guy. He's a stuntman. It's like there isn't even a lot to infer. You just sort of get to go along in the car with this character. And uh, like you were saying, it's like an hour and a half of what feels like where a lot of movies are like, well, we have an hour and a half to do. We have to do all the things that people expect in a movie. Tarantino is saying, we're just going to, take the car down the highway and see where it takes us. And have we built up this, you know, cliff character enough to see what he can do or is one stellar scene with Bruce Lee (laughs) and a mention of wife killing enough to really nail that character down. And I think that is where we're seeing Tarantino really shine here. And in writing, in, you know, whoever's behind the camera, whoever is setting up all these delicious, deliciously, like, lit sets and all this good stuff going on where the characters are 
not necessarily as as talkative as you're expecting in a Tarantino movie. They have an unspoken bond between each other. And that came across. And and folks, don't get me wrong. Like I say it's an hour and a half of just like almost feels like nothing, but <laughs> that sounds bad, but I really enjoyed it. And it it's hard to explain why I enjoyed it other than just like it's Tarantino and I enjoy his films. It, it really felt like for this hour and a half, we were in these characters' lives as like a third party that was just like floating over their shoulder. And you're just like, cool, this is kind of like a documentary. And, I, you know, I'm really just like an observer. And Kurt Russell comes in with the narration. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I can't. I should be able to explain it because that's what this podcast is about, is us being able to explain what makes movies cool or not cool. But it was just an hour and a half. A la, you know, Inglorious Bastards or Hateful Eight of people talking, people doing stuff, people just doing what they would do. I can I can kind of, from my own perspective, try and... Because I understand exactly what you're saying. I was getting antsy about it. my lack of knowledge of L.A. history yeah. led me to believe that maybe I was missing something about what was going on here. For about that hour and a half, I said, who are these people? Why is this happening? Wait, Charles Manson is here. I'm starting to put the pieces together. So it was it was not that I had a lapse of memory in terms of what the movie was called. This is the fairy tale, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This is, you are getting... And it's funny because there's no way this is a fairy tale structure of what you would expect with like... Technically, the happy ending maybe is there in some respect, but there is still like a tinge of just like sadness, melancholy around it beyond like the, you know, violence or whatever is happening beyond that. But I think when it comes to an hour and a half of a Tarantino film versus an hour and a half of somebody else's work, I'm not, there's no names I can say that's ever really done what Tarantino has been able to pull off in his films. And it's not just style because a hundred percent Scorsese's got that style, that, that movie Riz that I love as well. You know, like there are directors like Jordan Peele's got a movie style down that I'm just like, hell yeah, give me that fucking shit. There is Tarantino putting an hour and a half of a slice of life, Hollywood anime in his movie where he says, look, these are people and they're doing their thing and it doesn't matter right now, but it matters to the entire, for for the film to be anything, it matters. And it, it is still something that is hard to describe because, you know, there's only so many elements that you can put into a film that make it differentiate itself from anything else you're always like we've got writers we've got actors we've got cinematographers we've got people lighting it we've got people set dressing it we've got all this stuff and it's like every movie has that to a degree why does Tarant why does a Tarantino movie with his name on it with his spin on it feel different that goes beyond comprehension because we're like a Hitchcock film is 
in undoubtedly a Hitchcock film. There's nobody else that was doing it like him. People have begun to be able to copy him in some way, but it's still people are not going, you know, people are going back to watch North by Northwest because it is people are watching Psycho now because it's that. People will watch Tarantino pulp fiction, you know, Tarant- Tarantino's full suite of movies because they are that in it, unique in that way. Well, and maybe it's maybe it's this. Maybe it's that by taking an hour and a half with his characters and I'm generalizing, you know, it could be a little bit more than an hour and a half. Whatever it is in each movie, but maybe by taking this amount of time at the beginning of his movies, he allows his characters to become human by letting the actors just be regular people in a way. Whereas when you look at like a lot of other movies, they have to like establish their character and have their character act in a certain way because that's what the character does. Yeah. You know, okay, this character is drinking this because that's his character. Like that's his thing. You know, right. he's always drinking that. He loves monster yeah. energy. <laughs> you know, or he said this and he said that because he's always doing this. He walks in this certain way because he's always doing this and we have to establish it in 15 minutes. And it's going to be his defining thing for the rest of the movie. But by taking an hour and a half to just follow these people, you pick up on the little things as if you were just like sitting down in a mall watching people. You know, when you're sitting down watching people, you don't see somebody chug a monster and go like, oh, yeah, monster energy. This is what fuels me to get through my day. (laughs) I do this every day on the hour. I drink six monster energies every day. Like, (laughs) Like... Uh, one of the things, this is such a weird detail that stood out to me, but in that scene where Brad Pitt is waiting to possibly, you know, do a stunt and he's waiting there listening to Bruce Lee, he's sitting there just drinking a little carton of milk. Yes. The little carnation milk. And I was just like, why that? But like, it didn't need to be answered, but it, it like set up perfectly that like, maybe he was walking by crafty and saw it and just like picked it up and was like, you know, this is what I need to get through the day. Yes. And it's it's those type of things that, you know, that doesn't need to be explained. That's not his character. He's not the milk guy. You know, that's not his defining trait. But he's just a guy who's living in this world. And that was something else that was living in this world until it was impacted by him. And so with all of this coming together, you have all of these characters just acting like people. And it builds a very real world. It's little idiosyncrasies that don't build up in any way. There's the one I'm thinking of that was so obvious to me in that it was annoying was Leo. Danton was like coughing as he was, he was getting, but it wasn't all the time. It was that one day he was on set getting, you know, getting the mustache and everything. And he's talking to the young actor uh, girl. And it was, his character didn't cough all the time. He just was having a bad cough day. He had some phlegm in there. There was plenty of things that are happening in there that are weird and different and human to the point where you go, he's just coughing today. I I don't know. He just needed a lozenge and he didn't think to ask for one. And that was what happened that day. And yeah, the milk carton's a great example even the example of getting to the flashback for Bruce Lee is Brad Pitt's character just like reminiscing on a rooftop. Yeah, yeah something that Leo said to him That's it. like triggered that memory as it would with a normal person. That's it. And the movie shows it for like 
way longer than you would expect a flashback and then also a flashback to go further secondary into another flashback but that's how memory works too it it uh you'll you'll have memories smash into each other and you're like wait what was i thinking about okay right yeah i was fighting bruce lee no that wasn't it i was doing something else yeah it's so funny to have those just like quirks and not it be the main thing it's just what happens well also in that same scene where he's talking to the to the girl while he's you know waiting for his part he he was saying a line and he was supposed to be like stumbling over his words that he was delivering like just that's what the scene was but Mm -hmm. i noticed he like messed up a word as he was delivering it in a way that didn't seem like it was part of the act it seemed like leo legitimately like messed up that line and like that caused him to like mess up the stuttering in the next part and like it like stood out it could have been leo's great fucking acting because that's just who he is i think leo kind of killed it yeah just saying it could have been that or it could have just been like me just looking too deep into this movie i don't know but it was one of those things where it was like that felt so human because in movies when people are stuttering and they're thinking about what they're going to be saying they already know what they're going to be saying that's just how the the fucking script's right there <laughs> the script says you 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 yeah, but <laughs> and you're like reading it you 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 there's a seven yeah. u's okay you, they you. know what comes after you whereas this was like the first yeah. time where i was like yo that was like actually listening to a person talk where they didn't know what the next word was going to be before they said it. Yeah. Ah, dude. Uh, Also, just, again, a little idiosynchronicy there is him recording his own backing track for his lines was just a little goofy little thing that Dalton was doing. It just adds a little charm to it because you're like, what a doof. Just get somebody else to do it. But it's like, he's small time now, right? Maybe he had somebody do it for him before, but it's on his little talk back recorder. So let's talk about that other scene that like stood out to us. That was when he's talking to Timmy Ollie and there's those like weird cuts in there. Was that the internet (laughs) or it happened for both of us though? Yeah, was there some edit in there that got taken out? Was there, like, I don't know. It was very disjointed, and at this point, it's it was to put us, you know, like, set us on edge. Yeah. Like, we don't like Timothy Oliphant, right? He's, I'm not saying we don't <laughs> like the actor Timothy Oliphant. I'm saying his character is the new Dalton, yeah. right? He's taking over Hollywood for, from where Dalton was. And therefore, we're on Dalton's side. We're like, Dalton can be the bad guy. You know, he wants to be in all the movies and all this stuff, but there's something off about this Timothy Oliphant guy. He makes cuts Yeah, <laughs> There was, like, weird cuts. There was dropped frames. It was, like, just a very disjointed and, like, hard-to-watch scene. Yeah, but... But it was so, it was two, like two cuts. Yeah. And it just f- really threw me off because I was like, I actually don't know where this conversation is going now. Like, I'm very yeah. lost. But I love that in a, like a movie making way because you can either have like a character show up and like say some very like shitty things and you're like, all right, well, we don't like this guy. But like, 
you're kind of supposed to like him. He's the new Dalton. He's, you know, he's replacing him. He's a great guy. He's going to be the next big thing. You, you know, he shouldn't show up and be like, hey, I'm a piece of shit. He should show up and be like, I'm a great guy. And so you got to do something with your movie making to... Which is actually fuck it up in some yeah. way. So very... Hey, if that was intentional, fucking loved it. it yeah. It, I mean, it felt intentional because it felt like his presence needed work, right? Like he was cutting into Dalton time oh, yeah. or something. It was... It was like you cut what Timothy Oliphant's character is saying because it's not as important to us as whatever Dalton was doing. It, but but not even in that way. It's like you just cut it all. It it doesn't need to be happening, right? Like this is this is fluff. This is he he is an important character in his own story, but not in this one. Cut yeah. him out. Yeah. yeah. It was great. That whole sequence where we're seeing Dalton on that set and everything, I, I'm i going to say it again when, when we were watching it, like the fact that there was a long, long stretch of not actually seeing any film equipment from lighting, from cameras to, you know, crew. You hear some people at some points like talking behind the camera and stuff like that, but when the film is showing you a film or, you know, TV show being made and not cutting for breaks or, you know, a lot, so many shows and stuff that you've seen now, like behind the scenes or stuff that is in progress, you're seeing the like brokenness of what goes into editing a feature or stuff like that. And this one's like, here's one take and not even that, where the crew would be, you're seeing the, you know, false reality of the show as well. And that blew my mind. I was just like, okay, well, I'm in now. Let's fucking go. Yeah. It seems like such a little thing, like let, such a little detail and something that Tarantino absolutely didn't have to do. Like he could have just been like, all right, we are making a movie. So here's going to be the camera and here's going to be the people making, you know, the lines and it would have been great too. yeah and it would have delivered it just as well but to like be like all right we are on a movie set on a movie set making this movie of a movie and i'm showing you the finished product of what this movie would be at the time and you yeah. don't get to see like he walks into there you see the cables that run across the the floor you see a cable in the back but once he goes into the little saloon boom movie's on and it's like now you're seeing what the finished product would be wild and even like Further than that, it was like you would see what a 1969 movie would look like in 2019 where some of the stuff they were doing wouldn't be actually how they would have shot it back in the day, but it would have been how they would have shot it now. And it was just, I don't know, it was good. And like I liked when they were in the saloon and you had the guy outside that was like calling him out and they did the cuts like in between and it was all together but like you know that the one that was shot outside would have been shot on a completely different day than the one that was shot inside like that's just, that's just yeah. movies i don't know well they even tell you because there's that one where uh you know he does like the hamlet thing and the director's like all right on to the next scene and it's like completely totally something different and you're like, that's probably the outer scene or just something totally unrelated. Who could even say? So, yeah, it there's 
what what is it even called when it's like a perfect interspersing of whenever you have Dalton backstage, it's always him like asking questions and like not knowing where to go to. It's always like, where's the evil guy saloon? And they're all like, oh, just honey, go left and then another right. And it's always him like wandering about this like space he's not familiar with. And then they put him in the saloon and he does his line. And it's like extremely intimidating and stellar and like all this sort of stuff that you're expecting from this like big screen actor but then you put him behind the scenes and he's like, I'm fucking drinking. And, uh, you know, you put him in his trailer and he's even like more detached from like reality that you're expecting. He's just like completely breaking down. And there's like levels to the present presentation that he is giving you. And we get to see all of it. And he presents a facet of that inner part of himself to Brad Pitt's character. And, that's why that relationship works is because like the car is like an extension of that inner self. And yeah, it's like there's those many wordless things and there's the sort of like homophobic sort of like, don't cry on me, you know, like all this stuff is like going on behind the scenes, but he's sharing it directly like man to man with Brad Pitt's character, Cliff. And it's really powerful stuff. I really liked it a lot. Yeah. It was very much like the movie making aspect of them being, you know, in these movies was breaking the fourth wall in a way that was like Tarantino being like, all right, now we're within that fourth wall. Now we're outside that fourth wall. Oh, now we're back in. Oh, now we're outside it again. But then there's a, a larger room that we're in and he, he never breaks that fourth wall. It's just the, the inner fourth wall. So, yeah. Thank God, never in the movie, the camera fully turns 180 and you see fucking Quentin yeah. with his feet out somewhere. I would scream. Rolling a big roller <laughs> that gets the film turning. Yeah, he's doing it on film. You know he is. He can't shoot digital. It's, it oh, kills him. It's not inside. what movies are about. So, you gotta have the smell. No, it's about film. Is. It's about film. Literally <laughs> film. If it's not on film, it's not a film. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of film, Speaking of stuff, you know what buys films? <laughs> money. You know what needs money? Us. Yeah. Ad break? Ad break. Ad break. We're back. We're back. What's the thing we Good thing we filmed all those ads. Uh, wait, it's on film? Celluloid's yeah. very flammable. I just put it next to a big fire. Oh, no. <laughs> and all those Nazis. Oh, I had it in that theater. Oh, no. <laughs> Dude, absolutely loved the uh, like scene where they're talking about Leo's like previous films, and they're like, Oh, yeah, you were in that great war movie with the flamethrower. And then they just, like, cut to that movie. They cut to Inglorious Bastards, but with the flamethrower. Yeah, like another edit of Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. So good. Give me it's, more killing Nazis. It's good. There were... That was... I feel like that in itself is an Inglorious Bastards reference, but you catching the, like, Italian name oh. on the poster... Dude, when they were doing their little montage and they were like, yeah, he was in that one Italian spy flick directed by Antonio Margheriti. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, oh, it, 
Oh, that was so good. I know. And you got it so quick because I was just like, man, you you know. You just know. It's it's because we saw that recently, and it's because they say the name like eight times. Antonio and I love that little, Margareti. Uh, to, and they do the little, he has him do the little hand thing. Yeah, he looks, he does yeah, a little Christoph. eyes at him. He goes, <laughs> yeah. Antonio. It's so, so funny. Good. So funny. Absolutely loved that. Yeah, the the... The sort of like switch to Dalton, because what is it like a six month gap where you basically are just like he did a bunch of stuff. Kurt Russell, come in here, tell tell us what happened. <laughs> yeah. Which is also it's just like Italian films. Yeah, it's great. It's kind of fucking wild that they're like, all right, there's two days that happen at the very beginning, and we're gonna spend two hours of the film going over these two days. Yep, where not a lot happens, but also a lot happens, but also not a lot, and then a good amount <laughs> happens. Yeah, and then, oh, six months, and here's Kurt Russell, and he's going to talk real fast, and Antonio Margareti, this and that, and you're like, whoa. Yeah, it's yeah. it's one of those perfect sort of like, this is this is the point in the movie where you get a black screen so that you can go get some popcorn and really kick it into high gear now because yeah. we are ready and raring to go for that six-month leap to really take us somewhere, and it's not that we weren't going anywhere, but now we're here, like you're in it. it well, we've established everything we needed to now in the six months pass, and it's time. And like, of course, we knew it was going to go somewhere. Like I, one, went into this movie again, knowing very little about nothing. it. Yeah. But we knew it was going to go somewhere because Tarantino. And we also knew it was going to go somewhere because they get to that scene where they go to the ranch. And when they get to the ranch, you're oh like, my all right. God. This movie is absolutely going to go somewhere. I don't know where, but this could is never most, have guessed. Yeah, this is the most high stress situation. Oh my god. It's so yeah, we definitely have to talk about the ranch scene. Be, just at what point do we figure out how he captures that just unsettling vibe it's there's definitely a soundtrack element because there was that like deep like cello sting or something that was happening and that was like disturbing mm-hmm. it just kept happening and you're like well why is that happening and you know that brad pitt's character can handle himself and he has this air of just sort of like don't give a shit energy that i think brad pitt is taking into all of his characters now at this point I'm okay with that. I'm I'm all for it. I'm accepting of this. But it's the air of this character where you haven't seen him really do anything of note. It's like he he kind of fucked up like Bruce Lee a little Bruce bit. Lee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, you know, maybe he killed his wife. We don't know. Uh he probably killed his wife. Uh but wife. you're seeing this character for the first time enter a situation that is not chill. And this is a chill guy that just wants the cool vibes and to be chill. And his reaction, that's the funny thing, is like his reaction while watching TV is like the perfect, like friendly banter. It's like this additional thing to his character where like he has a funny laugh. He just sort of does like a wheeze laugh at some point. It's great. They compliment each other on like, you know, stunts and like pictures and all this stuff. And he's at the ranch and he feels 
like this same character you're familiar with, but he's in this situation where suddenly there are like 50 new characters on screen. <laughs> yeah. Sucks for him. He's outnumbered by these people that you can tell don't have good vibes and like whether or not you know about like the Mansons or, or like the cult or like anything like that. You're just like, this feels like a bad place. Yeah. And I, I think it's also like just the dichotomy of how they're living versus how we've seen everybody else live. Mm-hmm. Cause like most of this movie takes place in the Hollywood Hills where everything's nice and pretty and lovely. And even like where he lives in a trailer behind like a movie theater it's like, yeah, it's not great, but it's not like a sh- like an absolute shithole. And where these people live, like you can tell they don't take care of it. You can tell they're not living for good mm-hmm. purposes. Like they're they're people who could do anything. Yeah. And that's the thing. Yeah. Even his trailer, while being small, is he's supporting his dog. He opens that cupboard and it is stocked full of dog food, multiple flavors. You got rat flavor. You got raccoon in there. (laughs) Yeah, there is an element of him still having that lavish lifestyle that he could afford before. He's just downsized it to his current living situation, which is, you know, not even really doing stunts anymore. But yeah, he enters this extremely hostile environment which should be nice. There's horses. There's tourists. I don't know. It doesn't feel good. The The house where they keep... Is it Dakota Fanning or is it Ellie? It must have, I don't know. It's one of the I, Fannings. I think it's Dakota. She's very hostile every time someone is watching him and relaying information to her. She says, like, if he comes up here, tell me. You know, like, she is trying to be this like hawk like this just evil evil presence and the room there is i think it's like the first time you just see like dust like in the movie yeah and that that isn't wild west placed there by a crew dust in the road this is like dust from accumulation from you know from people who care about different things yeah and That's that scene alone. If you don't know where the movie is going at that point, you figure it out in that scene. And that's very powerful to me. Yeah. And I I think Dakota Fanning's character was also very good. If that was her, whatever. Uh, (laughs) Because I don't know. know, you, You do see Charlie Manson real quick. He is in the movie for a short time and then you don't see him anymore. And that's, I like that because that's very true to what he did where he was around his, you know, his family and then he gave them orders. He never did the killings, but you know, he's kind of responsible for them. And so, I mean, there's a quote that's like, he told us to kill these people that live in this house. So I like that. Elvis said (laughs) that. Elvis did say that. So I, I like that because then you have her who you're like, all right, she's trying to be the big bad and she's trying to account for him even though he's not there. And that drives her yeah. character to be very scary. You know, you don't know what she's going to fucking do. There's like an element of like corruption and uh, yeah, it's the aura of just the like evil 
sort of devilish nature of Manson stuff that even if you don't really know about Charles Manson and stuff like that, it's like, you know, it's yeah. not good. <laughs> and it they nail like not feeling good about this. Cause like even the, you know, the hippies that are there on this ranch, they're just standing around just watching Brad Pitt. They're like trying to get a vibe for him. And when he goes in the house, like then they're worried that something bad's going to happen. So they're all just standing there watching and it just feels bad. It's a bad feel. Mm. And it reminded me a lot of in the beginning of Inglorious Bastards where you got Christoph Waltz doing his little interrogation. Oh, yeah. And you're like, all right, this is an interrogation, which is already scary enough. But I'm also just getting a bad feel. And especially when it starts getting to the end of that interrogation, you start getting that same like feeling in the pit of your stomach of like, all right, something bad yeah. is going to happen. Dude, it reminds me of that scene in Zodiac where like he, he goes, goes into, into the, the house. house, I think just in the yes. basement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was that it like, it's the serial killer vibe. Like, man, when filmmakers are able to nail that you're, yeah. you're fucked up, man. Quentin Fincher, you're fucked up little brain. Especially when they're taking characters that they've made you like, and then yes. they put those in those situation. Cause like then you go, no, 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 don't do that. Yeah. I think that was an additional part of the scene in this movie where it's like if there had been any other character or if we had not, you know, got to like Brad Pitt's character as much as we did, mm-hmm. however we did, then that whole thing would have just been like, eh. Okay, if he fucking dies, he dies. The emotional connection ties us to that character. And so it's not that I feel I'm in the house, but him being in the house is enough for me to go, please be be safe, yeah. Brad. Brad, go. please be safe. Go. go, just go. Get out, Brad. So yeah, and to follow that up, there is the... You know, he his car gets damaged in some way and he has to get it. Like, there's a time limit set on, like, Tex is going to come back and kill you. And you're like, Brad Pitt, better leave. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You see it's damaged and you're like, just leave. Just just fucking, I don't fucking care now. Yeah, just get out. Go. <laughs> Flat tire, get out of there. You can you can make it. Yeah, and then he causes trouble and you're like, no, don't. That's the that's the worst thing you could be doing. You just don't know. <laughs> incredible. I, I that scene. I mean, that whole sequence is incredible, and the small little or rather big detail of him going in the house. Everyone's sort of like booing at him after, but before that, they're all standing outside. He enters. He leaves. Single person outside. Yeah. It's so creepy, dude. Yeah. Where did they go? Why? I mean, they went into their like little houses and you could see it, but it was a large group of people amassed. Yeah. And you have made them disappear through the through magic to an effect that is so unsettling and creepy. It just feels so bad that whole sequence. Yeah. It was also very like Silent Hill vibes or uh yeah but good or uh or resident evil sorry um not the movie but the games where you got like oh gotcha you got li- or silent hill the game i understand yeah you got like uh four or village where you're like in these villages and they're like with people where you're like i don't know what your intentions are and because i don't know what your intentions are that puts me on edge oh that's that's a good 
example for for all you video game nerds out there. Yeah, <laughs> the cross between movies and video games. That's where we live. <laughs> nobody nobody likes movies and video games. Yeah, just it's us. Not possible. We're gatekeeping that whole deal. <laughs> Looking at you, Hitman fans. It's just us. Looking at you, Gamer Gate. We're video game movie gate. <laughs> That's us. <laughs> Only movie video games, like Hitman and Hitman Agent 40s. Okay, either way. Talking about things we like. Jimmy, did you like this movie? What do you think? I was just going to ask you the same thing. (laughs) This is the point of the episode where Aaron asked me. Did you like it? Would you recommend it to people? The main thing that we're trying to figure out how to say that we get to this point in the (laughs) beginning. And it's still hard. Yeah, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Either way, did I like it? Would I recommend it? Yes. I liked this movie. Would I recommend a watch? It is a watch for me, Aaron. Not only is this the feeling of a quintessential Tarantino movie, this is a return to a sort of Pulp Fiction vibe. I I think Tarantino hasn't He's been in the Western. He's been in the historical fiction era for a little bit. Django Unchained, that didn't happen. It'd be dope if it did. But he's establishing this alternate reality where maybe Hitler was killed in, in an extremely cool way. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I definitely recommend this film. I'm not going to spoil the ending, and that's why, because I want you to see it after listening to this or before listening to this. I don't know what you do with this knowledge that you are... Knowledge, is it even? I don't know. Information (laughs) that we provide while listening to this podcast. So it's a watch from me. I really like this movie. It, It tricked me into liking it because, again, I was antsy, right? Right at that halfway point, an hour and a half in, I thought... Now, this has been a whole movie length, and don't get me wrong, I love Slice of Life shit, but what's going on here? And then I was like, oh, I get it. So that's what I'm saying. Aaron, what do you think? Is it a watch or a not watch for you? Come on, folks. You already know what I'm going to say. It's a watch. I liked it, and it's a watch. Love me some Tarantino, especially his more recent stuff. I think his craft has been seriously honed over the past couple years. I don't know how he does it. You You don't like Dusk Till Dawn? Well, it's a movie. He wrote actually, he wrote that one. Actually, I do like that one. <laughs> oh, he does star in that yeah. one. No, but like I, I've gone on record as saying like Pulp Fiction, don't really like that one. Uh yeah, I know that's a hot Wrong. that's a hot take. Uh it's like the coldest hot take of all time because that movie is old. Yeah. And now everybody's like, actually, uh Clone Wars is better than Pulp Fiction. Yeah, so get on those message boards. Tell me why I'm wrong about Pulp Fiction. I know it's a good movie. I just didn't really like it. Message boards. <laughs> uh, this movie had that. a lot of vibes that were similar to Pulp Fiction, but I thought hit a lot better. Um, the scene with the the house that we were just talking about reminded me a lot of the scene with the the gimp in Pulp Fiction where you're like going down to the yeah. basement and you're like, oh, something is wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I think he's just honed his craft over the years and he's gotten so very good at making movies and especially so very good at making movies that I will like, I don't know how he's doing it. 
directors are out there. They're busting out movies to help them hone their craft. And he's like, yeah, I'll put out one. And it's going to be better than the last one. I don't know how I've been getting any practice, but it's good. And so... Uh, that that is the thing that will continue to confound me is again there's only so many elements you can put into a film how do you nail so many of them as Tarantino in in just a way that you're doing it I don't know yeah. it's engaging it's fun it's funny it's uh, emotionally invested like I'm emotionally invested in these characters I. Dude, greatly enjoyed my time. I, I enjoyed my stay. Thanks. Even you just saying that it was funny is like huge because we've got we've gotten to a point with movies where every character has to be. Oh, he's got to be the funny guy. He's got to get his little comedy out to like be relatable. And, you know, nobody in this movie was that character, but there were still jokes and laughs that I was enjoying. You missed the Rob Schneider cut where like <laughs> Rob Schneider's in the movie and he's just like, I poop my pants. And you're like, oh, <laughs> it's just a whole different. It's like a whole hour and a half more of the movie. But Rob Schneider's in like every scene. Is that the Schneider cut that everybody was asking for? <laughs> the Schneider cut. <laughs> Justice League. Oh, I poop. The Schneider cut. I super poop my pants. Oh, guys, I don't know, Rob, uh, you did it. What, is that what he said? You can't do no. it. Yeah. You can do yeah. it. That's what he says. Getting yeah. back to it. Loved, loved, so I did. I loved the writing in this. I loved the characters. I loved the movie-making aspect of it, where, like, they're literally making movies, and then I love the larger movie-making aspect of, like, they made a really good movie with movie principles. Uh Oh, dude, they did some Carrasquero angles in there that were just oh, chef's kiss. Oh. oh, baby. Yeah. A little Dutch angle in there. Oh, and I didn't mention it because I was thinking about mentioning it now. The lighting at times, they were at that Playboy Mansion pool party. It was lit beautifully. And it was yes, lit very good lighting. so beautifully that it didn't detract from what was going on. And furthermore, hectic. We could tell a hectic scene. Yeah. But we could always tell that Margot Robbie was supposed to be the center of attention in there because no matter how things were like lit with these beautiful, pretty colors, her bright yellow outfit was still just eye popping. And you were like, oh, there she is. And my attention is drawn to her. She's what I need to pay attention to. That scene was interesting to me because it entered and I almost thought her outfit was like a bright white just because it was so, it felt like it was so high in like brilliance, right? Where I was like, wow, that is like one of the brightest colors I've ever seen. And then the lights dim and it's this like harsh, harsh red and she's wearing yellow now. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> was it always this? And it blew my mind a little bit. Yeah, but it was consistently and incredibly well lit. It goes back to when they're filming the uh, Western stuff and you're not seeing any of the lighting, but it is the most well-lit shots, interior, exterior, anything you're seeing is, again, this fantastic culmination of what light does in a camera. They get it. And... Tarantino knows how to get people who like light films the way he wants films lit. It's great. Yeah. Uh, not that he's hiring every uh, person making every decision, but 
when you're the director, right? It's like your job to make sure the people that are beside you know what you want and your vision and all that sort of stuff and continues to nail it. The Beyond that even, I think Tarantino's choice of actors is continually great. Yeah. He clearly really likes working with Leo and Brad Pitt in terms of Brad Pitt, he said, hey, remember Inglorious Bastards? Just do that character again. <laughs> but in 69. But in 69. But you're the same guy. Yeah. And he's like, Riva Derchi. <laughs> and it's like, no, we're still talking. And he's like, okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and he got Kurt Russell back. And, oh, Kurt Russell. I always love Kurt Russell. Uh, yeah. And again, Margot is fantastic in this, but almost like wild that she's in the movie at all. Dude, she's the third name listed and like uh like side side character, side character. Her plot, her character's plot in the movie is she goes to the movies and she bought a book. Or you know, she she picks up a hitchhiker and drops them off. So she goes to the movies and she is married to Roman Polanski and they were at the Playboy Mansion and they live next to Dalton and that's it and she gets pregnant <laughs> yeah and then the six months pass and she's very pregnant but yeah that's her character and you're like what's her name sharon tate huh why does that ring a bell it's very strange uh <laughs> in incredible just yeah to be that top billing and be like you pulled it off it's fantastic the the scene where she introduces herself in front of the movie theater to like the ticket holder and that stuff is so sweet. So also has that tinge of melancholy and, you know, no one will recognize you if you're not standing next to the movie poster. And that's deeply, deeply sad. So dude, if, if Margot Robbie came up to me at my job, and was like, can I get in for free? Uh, I'm Margot Robbie. I'd be like, who? No. <laughs> Stand next to the Barbie poster. Yeah. The girl from that one where you got hunted by the rich family? And she'd be like, no, that's that other blonde girl on the back. Who? The one from Sex Education? No, that's... She was also in the Barbie movie. Oh, God. John Cena? <laughs> Dua, you're Dua Lipa? Oh, my God. Get in here. Get in here. Ryan Gosling, I love you. Uh, that would be so cruel, and you would never treat Margot Robbie like that. Do not lie. I... If she would have to say her name, and I would still not believe it's her. And she'd go like, Margot Robbie. And you'd be like, you're Australian. What's up with your accent? Yeah. But yeah, that's uh, the podcast, right? That's the podcast. We did it. We, we did the both... thing at the that we said we were going to do at the beginning that took a minute to introduce. And that thing is we say whether you want to watch or not watch movies or whether we want you. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. We say in tandem with one in unison opinion whether we want you to watch a movie or not. Right. Yeah. Which we've done. And this day we have gained consensus. Both Aaron and I independently have chosen that you should blah, 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 watch the movie. Watch the movie. Go watch it. So thank you so much. Go watch it. It's on streaming right now as this movie, as this podcast comes out. Will it be later? Who could say? It'll probably be on Paramount+. Uh, Plus. <laughs> it'll probably be on 
your local Blu-ray, but don't find it at Best Buy because they're getting rid of physical inventory. Uh, either way, thank you so much for listening to Too Much Popcorn. That is the show where Aaron and I eat a bunch of popcorn, get really sick, and then talk about movies. And as we're recovering from our sort of popcorn-induced stomach aches. So... Thank you so much for listening to that. Uh, that is going to do it for this week. Once again, if you've made it this far, we would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a review or a rating wherever you're listening or even a comment on YouTube or wherever. We're still pushing for Spotify at this point. Give us a follow on there. Give us a rating on there. The most important thing is for those uh, just right now as we still stumble through how to even get a ad at all. But that's going to do it for this episode of Too Much Popcorn. Thank you so much for listening. Have a good one. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.